Hey everybody, Coast to Coast Combat Hour. Ed Carbohall with Matt Hawkins here as always to talk about uh, something different today. We've got a guest lined up for you. Um, as always, the podcast is brought to you by AllAccessMMA.com. Make sure you check out AllAccessMMA.com for your mixed martial arts news. Um, I know there's a lot of stuff that happened over the weekend with uh, one championship, Bellator, and the Zuckerberg fighting championships. If you really want to get into the details with that stuff, Matt, did a really good, great appearance on uh, the Living Death podcast that was on Monday. There's a link to that on the bottom for folks that want to listen to the wrap-up over the weekend for Combat News Sports, and they do a really good segment on uh, Antonio Inoki's passing, which is definitely worth a listen. Um, so thanks, Matt, for doing that on Monday. So we got time to talk to our guests. Uh, my homeboy uh, from Jiu-Jitsu in New Jersey from the Mets, uh, Ron Rivers, uh, before uh, you say hello and stuff, Ron, without this guy, this is a guy I wouldn't have got my black belt without his help. Um, he's my friend, my instructor, fellow beer snob. Uh, I mean, there's so many uh, check marks I can put under your name. And now we have to add author to that, right, Ron? Yes. Well, uh, Ed and Matt, thank you guys so much for having me. And I think Ed's being a little humble when he talks about not getting his black belt without my uh, my influence. But I'm happy I could play a small role in your jur- in your jujitsu journey. So, yeah. And and recently uh, published uh, my book published the self actualization in the age of crisis. So it was about a a three year writing journey, about a six year kind of research journey. You know, in combination with those three. So a long time coming. Kind of surreal to be here, but here we are, and uh, I'm so excited to chat with you guys. Just for to start off here uh, with something of a combat-based conversation, why don't you tell us how um, you got to know Ed, I guess, um, maybe what led you to being his instructor and led you to being his mentor towards his black belt, as he says. So why don't we kind of start at the beginning uh, of how you, you got involved in the world of BJJ and kind of the combat uh, sports world? Yeah, yeah, right on. So I actually have a, a kind of a funny story. Um, so I, I'm a black belt under Matt Sarah. Um, I started training jiu-jitsu in 2003, and I got my black belt in 2011. Um, and I was I was training, you know, so I started when I was in college. The funny story is, you know, Matt's old academy um, used to be next to a kung fu school. So I remember the day it was like, I was standing outside the door and I was like, oh man, jujitsu. Like I had an amateur wrestling background and I'm like, oh, that would be a really nice fit. And it's like, you know, obviously it's a very strong martial art, but I was like, but it would be really cool to be able to like crane kick people, you know? So I was really (laughs) torn on which door I was going to walk in. Uh, But I ended up going into the Sarah Academy uh, and that really was, um, you know, I was going to school at Hofstra at the time at Long Island. um, And that really was like a life-changing experience for me. Um, the, the Sarah team, Matt and his brother, Nick, I mean, they were, they truly became a family to me. Um, I was training like double sessions for like s- seven years in a row, uh, you know, pretty frequently. Um, I was really, you know, pretty competitive, really into it, but you know, in my, um, I learned, you know, a ton of valuable lessons in jujitsu as we all do, you know, take away from martial arts. Um, but I, I learned a very hard lesson when, um, I was a brown belt and I trained, for the Pan Ams, um, I competed in the Pan Ams as a brown belt. And um, long story short, short, I just like choked. Uh, and and it was kind of like a long history of kind of coming to these points where I realized that competition really wasn't um, really my strength when it came to martial arts. Uh, I loved wrestling in the gym, loved hanging out, loved teaching. Um, but that kind of was like a pivot, pivotal moment for me. I was in my mid-20s. I was like, well, if I'm not going to do MMA, you know, this is back again, you know, 2010, um, it, it, it's crazy. It's only 12 years ago, but you guys know it's changed so dramatically over the last 12 years. So like there wasn't any money in MMA back then, you know, even worse than it is now. Mm-hmm. So w- when I really realized like there was really no viable path to make a living in this, cause I, I wasn't going to get an occasion to punch the face. It wasn't just, it wasn't for me. I ended up moving to New Jersey to open a, a business. I, I founded a web two company. I ran it for eight years before I sold it. But that's how I got connected with Ed um, at the Advanced um, Martial Arts Institute under Brian Katz. Um, Brian and I kind of came up in the sport together. He was always super kind and super generous with let me train with this team. Um, and I just, you know, it became, again, a second family. I mean, as all jujitsu academies do, I, I think I trained and taught there actually longer than I was at the Sarah Academy. I think I was there for like a decade um, before before kind of COVID hit. Um, and 
And since then, and I'll, I'll pause after this because I obviously get excited talking about jujitsu. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had, unfortunately, you with a 25-year grappling career, I've had a, a series of uh, you know somewhat serious injuries that have kind of paused my training. At this point, I kind of only train, like if I go back to Jersey over the holidays, I'll train with Ed and a few other black belts that are in our like inner circle. Um, but my neck is pretty banged up. So I got to like be really careful with like rolling with a, mm-hmm. you know, an aggressive blue belt with an agenda. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not to get a little, not for nothing. Like the, I, one of the last few times Ron and I rolled and I did like the, you know, I tied up or I, I put my hand around the back of his neck. We stopped rolling and I was like, you got to get that looked at, dude. Like, you could actually feel whatever's wrong back there. You could feel, I mean, I don't know if you got it fixed or what since then. That was already what, that was last uh, September yeah, or something? There's nothing to get fixed. I had like two slip discs, you yeah. know? So it's like, what do you, you know, I, I'm really adverse like to getting my neck cut open, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want surgery. So yeah. it is what it is. Like, the solution is not to wrestle. I mean, ultimately, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I do yoga five days a week now. Like, that's my thing. And it's, that it's not, you know, it it certainly helps, and I will say about yoga. It's obviously not um, MMA related, but I will say for your audience members who've been training, you know, as long as I have, you you probably have very similar ailments, right? Your knees always hurt, your back always hurts. Um, yoga was the only thing, and I mean the only thing that I was ever doing that ever helped my knees, because um, I had knee pain for like eighteen years, um, and it it really was incredible. So, but yeah, my neck is messed up. <laughs> Yeah. So it's good. I'm glad that Matt asked that question about how, like how you got into jujitsu and stuff, because it kind of, it kind of underlines like the the guy that I know, as far as like you got into, you you found a martial art, you picked it and you went, you dove deep into it, got your black belt, got a first degree black belt in it. And then you did, you did your entrepreneurial stuff and you, you, you dove deep into that, had a successful business, sold it. And then, I mean, you mentioned all this in your book too. Um, and then, you know, you did, you, 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 dipped your toe in politics for a little bit, but you dove deep enough into that to try and step away. And now you're doing the, everything you, you something, as soon as something piques your interest, as long as I've known you, you don't just like, it's not just like a hobby for you. You go all the way in and, and you, you've done that with this book. I mean, you've been talking to me about this book. I mean, every time you come up to visit, you, you you've given me updates and every time you've updated me, I'm like, we got to get you on the podcast to talk about it. Um, uh, so I'm saying all this to ask you, like, what made you want to write the book? Yeah, that's a, a great question and, and an accurate summary. For better or worse, I'm obsessive. Um, and I think that's produced a lot of great results. But, you know, it also has a lot of negatives. Um, you miss a lot of, like, nights out with your friends when you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, when you're obsessing over projects. Yeah. Um, but I, I personally wouldn't have it any other way. Um, but, yeah, so the the you mentioned, um, so I spent uh, the last, like, um, I want to say like seven years of my life have been focusing on um, what I would call social impact or nonprofit work. So that's like really after I sold my for-profit business, um, I really, you know, didn't want to just build another like machine for money. That's a very poor motivator for me. Um, it's very difficult to get up in the morning when you're just like working for the paycheck. Mm-hmm. So um, I founded a nonprofit. To your point, I was involved in politics. And ultimately that was the motivation for the book was, I was just extremely frustrated with uh, the way change is set up. So essentially the core argument is like the available vehicles we have for change legally, right? Like, so political systems, uh, nonprofits, et cetera, Mm -hmm. they all resist change by design. So it's like, you're trying to make root change in a system that you must compromise your values in order to get anything done it. Because even the most, prolific movement organizations are co-opted, right? They have to like mm-hmm. deal with the shady politicians to like pass. And they always pass like half measures, like nothing ever really gets done. So that was really the the motivation. I had been studying political philosophy, economic theory um, for a, a, quite a while. You know, I had like, before I even put pen to paper for the first, or, you know, hands to keyboard, I had already had three pages of, uh, excuse me, three years of notes mm. from, you know, a plethora of books, podcasts, you know, et cetera. So it was kind of, it was kind of just a process where it was, you know, it came to a point where I was like, I, I have to do something for this, this nonprofit, this kind of activist community, because I feel like they're, they're really struggling. You're just constantly just getting, you just lose all the time. And it's like, and that's because you're trying to make change from within a system that doesn't want you to change it. It wants to be what it is because all the people in power benefit from what it is. Right. So mm-hmm. my argument um, was that we had to kind of think bigger and I, I wanted to kind of attack the root cause, which I, in the book I address is, is really our systems of meaning and value uh, and, and kind of where they draw from. 
Um, so that's kind of what motivated me was just, you know, my passion to kind of contribute in a way that A, hadn't been done before, and B, that I think could be you know, meaningful in its change and scope um, where, where current methods are not. So, um, I mean, I just want to bring up the, the title and everything. This is the website, uh, singletruth.org. Um, wh- the title of the book, Self-Actualization in the Age of Crisis, um, if, if, if you're selling the book to somebody, like say you're, you're, you, you have all your books sitting beside you right now, and I brought up the website. Um, it's, uh, it's already available for folks that are interested in checking it out. It's on Amazon, and you can go to this website and find uh, other ways to, to check it out. But um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, like I try to pull, I've already read some of it, but if I'm pulling myself out, like say if I'm in the bookstore and I look at the title, one of the things I'm like, if I read the title, I'm like, well, what's the crisis? So if, if somebody asks you, some Joe Schmo on the street asks you, what's the crisis? I mean, just something you said now. So is, is change or, or being adaptable or being able to change the, the, the crisis in, in, in the sense of that you're talking about in the book? It's a good question, um, and you're, you wouldn't be the only one. I've, I've actually got asked that same thing before. So the crisis refers to what I w- what is commonly labeled as the meta crisis. So it's not a single crisis; it's all of these things that are happening at once. So, right, like one of the in the book, there's I, I identify six specific crises. So the first is. Uh, and the most obvious is the crisis of extinction, right? We have a mm-hmm. planet that's heating up rapidly. At the same time, we're you know drilling new fossil fuel wells, and and uh, but more important, like not not more important, but equally important, but but unnoticed and unreported on, is we're we're in an era of mass extinction, mm-hmm. especially in our insect population, right? Which is critical to our food infrastructure. So I think like there's that in itself is is probably what like the most pressing crisis. That's existential because we all you know if the planetary warming doesn't stop and if it continues on the predictions over the next fifty years, we're gonna have serious like food and water crises where you know it's the vast majority are not gonna or I should say they're gonna lack access. Um, but then there's a, a handful of other crises, right? Like, excuse me, crises. Um, there's uh, the crisis of what I call the billionaire god king, right? So mm. the argument that we live in a society where both our spiritual, uh, or I should say our spiritual, our legal, our economic, our social systems all operate in these rigid hierarchies. And hierarchy in itself is not an evil concept. But when you only when you only allow for hierarchy, it forces mm. humanity to take a very specific shape. And my argument is we are much more than that. We are much more than just one specific form of being. But our systems only support one way of being. You know, like you, if you if you want to be successful in traditional means, you got to make a ton of money, right? Which mm-hmm. means you got to do very specific occupations. And you know, at the same time, though, it it sells out the future of our kids, right? Our teachers make shit money, right? Nonprofits mm-hmm. make no money, so it's like the people doing work to help people, um, is, you know, are overlooked. So I make the argument that you cannot be free in a class society. Mm-hmm. I think that we need to class in itself uh, is a is a lack of inherent freedom. Um, I talk about the crisis of information, truth, and trust, right? I mean, this is, all of our, our media institutions are for-profit and they're hyper-centralized, mm-hmm. right? And they have singular narratives that they push. And I don't, it's not political, right? I don't care if you're left or you're right. Like for-profit media as the main, yeah. the main way we get information <clears throat> is a terrible idea, um, especially yeah. in the conglomerate form, not independent, like, you know, everyone deserves the right. Um, I talk about the, the crisis of productivity and participation. Again, kind of very similar where like, we we have a very similar uh, or singular frame of work and value, and I think that human experience is much more valuable than that. And there's there's ways around that if we're open to alternative visions of systems. Um, uh, and mm. then and then I'll summarize after this. I, again, I, I do get excited. And I like to go on about this stuff. But there's the crisis of uh, desire, doubt, death, and dogmas, and that's kind mm. of the spiritual crisis. The argument is that like the the major defining spirituality systems um, in the world today are the salvation religion. Salvation religion refers to you die and you go to heaven, right? So I make the argument that it is um, the idea of putting divinity beyond death does two things that are do critical harm to the human being. The first is that it it denies our true power in the moment, right? Mm. Human divinity is, is in the alignment of the two observable infinities, which is another concept of the book, which is essentially the universe itself and human imagination. Um, but also, you know, it's the idea of of heaven is innately hierarchical. Like that's mm-hmm. an argument I make. So if you have, if your spirituality is tied to hierarchy, that paves the way for mortal hierarchies. Mm-hmm. So 
so that's like what you know if you look at history right like how much blood has been spilled because yeah. my god told me to kill your god right yeah. or you didn't accept my god etc so it's it's not a critique of any individual who follows them but of the systems themselves so i'll pause yeah but um it's funny you know you talk about how maybe that the book's not really for our target audience but the you, what you just mentioned, I, I made the note as you were talking about it. What you just mentioned kind of just happened over the the weekend, especially when you talk about hierarchy and and the media, uh, for profit media, and, and you know the the thing that happened with the UFC on Saturday, where Zuckerberg just pretty much bought out the, an entire event for himself. Matt went into detail, and they they, they kind of talked about what you just talked about on the on the Living Death podcast this past Monday. I was just listening to it before we we started recording too, so that's why it's fresh in my mind, but. Um, I mean, that's that that is dangerous when you start opening the doors to to have give one individual because they're what did you what was the term you used of the, the billionaire god god cakes right yeah 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 like they let him pretty much be king for a day at an event and um, it opens the door for you know one of the guys that does that does that podcast Jay Petrie is also an attorney and he opened he was like there's a lot of like li- liable things like that can happen as far as like you know, hiding things that happen that way. And when you like let someone take control like that, just because they have money. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, that in a way, that is a crisis that like you kind of have to be aware of. Yeah. And it, it bleeds into it, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that because it does bleed into every facet of our life. But I, mm. you know, what I want to emphasize, because this is like the most common rebuttal is being anti-billionaire is being anti-luxury. And that's not at all the case. When you get to this, that, that level of wealth and power, it's not about money. It's about the networks that you control within society. So Mark Zuckerberg is a perfect example. He's the king of the town square, mm-hmm. right? Jeff Bezos is the king of distribution, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's so many, like there's, there's um, I forget his name. There's like one mega company that owns like, like a huge chunk of farming in the US, right? So it's like there's one guy in his family who are like responsible for like the guidance of this. So my point is like, we, we live in these systems of unelected kings, mm-hmm. right? Like why should an individual who's incentivized to really ultimately collect wealth for themselves, right? That's their ultimate motivation is how can I benefit me? It's not how can I serve society? So, you know, I don't believe that, that um, we should abolish private enterprise. I think private enterprise is a great, uh, you know, opportunity for a lot of people to experiment in ways that are against the grain, so to speak. But once you get to a certain aspect, and most importantly, when it comes to like, critical verticals of society, food and water, housing, right? Housing's a big one. We all have a, mm-hmm. all the, if you, I don't know if you guys own houses, I don't, right? We're looking at them, but you know, you have these corporations swallowing huge swaths of starter homes mm-hmm. and, and for what? They're going to hold them and rent them out, yeah. right? It's, it's, so it's like when you have social verticals that are necessary under the power of these like conglomerates or individuals, uh, it's really just an unjust way of organizing ourselves. And it's only that way because it empowers a very, very small few at the top, right? It, it, so my argument is that that it, it, the root of that is our frameworks of, of meaning and value. You mentioned going back and 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 you know researching and and what 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 did you what what kind of research did you do? Um, what kind of uh, maybe classes? What what did you in order to write this book? What did you do to prepare yourself to be able to write it and then have um, the credentials to be able to? sell it basically you understand what i'm saying yeah. like you, you get what i'm going at i do i do so i'll i'll start with your last your last comment first so credentialing is really really fascinating right so it's something that you know um is certainly going to be like a, a challenge for me running this right like i'm not an academic i've been a startup founder or a nonprofit founder. i've done all these like things i'm a generalist like technically professionally i'm a technical generalist so do i have any right to to write a book about spirituality my argument would be absolutely right. All of us have that right because all of us are divine. Um, but your your first component, um, I've you know I have a library of books I wrote, and I just would take like meticulous notes on these books and like put them all in Google Docs, and then essentially I got to a point where I had to synthesize all this information. So okay, mm. I have all of this info, but like how does this make a compelling narrative for like the vision I know I want to write? And what was really fascinating that is like actually some of the core concepts of the book. Like I, I coined the single truth, right? Change. And that that really is rooted in the work of the philosopher Roberto Mangibera Unger and the physicist Lee Smolin. Um, Lee Smolin being the big proponent of the one who, who identified that our universe is actually infinite. So there was no before. There was no nothing. There's always been something. And that that contradicts a lot of the spiritual narratives. So 
Um, it was, you know, I wish I had like a cool answer, but honestly, it was either reading or writing every night for like six years. I mean, that's ultimately what it came down to and just taking notes. It wasn't like I did anything special. It's not like I, you know, I actually, funny enough, to your point, Matt, I, I talked to a fellow PhD, a mentor of mine. She was actually on the board of my nonprofit um, when I said, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking of writing this book, but should I go get a PhD? And she was like, no, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Like, unless you're going to spend your life, you know, doing this academic you know, thing, you should just write the book. If you have the vision, yeah. you know, um, you know, I've been very fortunate in my life, right? I've developed the, the agency to like be able to synthesize a, a lot of information, a lot of different ways. So that was really it. It was just like, daily incremental progress that you culminated right into a a book so again wrote then real quick so if i get into the book is it going to be like um like self-help stuff to try to help solve these issues is it just a world view on on the stuff you mentioned uh, or or your view on, on the on the world and the situation we're in right now um is it or is it like a self you know is it going to help with like mental strength and trying to figure out ways to uh you know to 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 get through and and you mentioned you know the housing thing and stuff i got real lucky with getting my house um at a time when a lot mm-hmm. of people um were were struggling you so keep I trying just, to get I, me to stay in it <laughs> so I, I just i mean i i got super lucky with that but i understand i had to i had to buy my house essentially without even looking at it in order to get a house mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they were getting gobbled up so do you, do you go do you get into kind of like the mental preparation almost to be able to fight the war to be able to survive in the world we're in um or, or is it more of just kind of like um trying to make people aware of of how you see these things unfolding and uh, and where we're at right now yeah that that's a really great question it's it's um the answer is it's 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 both uh, there is I, I wouldn't say it's self-help because i think it's you know what the ultimate objective of the book is we now understand the nature of reality to be something very different than all of our historical narratives have ever given us so the missing piece of the puzzle is how do we align our frameworks of meaning and value with this reality right? Because our present frameworks of meaning and value are intended for a human experience, a human time experience that is far removed from our past, right? If you think of the salvation religions, they're they're essentially all iron age religions, right? Some of them go back even further, right? Judaism is really a a bronze age religion, you back in like uh, Egypt. So when you talk about you know, I provide um, what I would call actionable frameworks, but at the same time within the book, I'm very clear and I repeat it often that like my journey is in no way, shape or form, you know, ideal for you. I I share the knowledge and I share what I believe the, the philosophical point of like the frameworks of like what is real and like how it should impact our way of approaching things and how it should impact how we organize ourselves. And um, I, I split the book chapters into what I call individual actualization, right? So the development of ourselves and systemic actualization. Um, but I do make the argument in the book that we need to redefine the word self because based on the nature of reality, which is the single truth, which is change, right? We live in perpetual moments that are always evolving and the relational universe, which is that everything we do exists in context to the other and the outside. Like none of us are free from that. Right? And, and much of that is out of our control, right? It's dependent on birth lottery, which today is statistically the most significant impactor of like our future success is who we're born into, right? What class are we born into? So I provide frameworks and I provide, you know, stuff that's worked for me and I provide suggestions, mm-hmm. but ultimately, you know, I do talk about like customizing experience because that's just it. All of us have this divinity, right? All the, the divinity of the moment is aligning imagination and creation because creation is like our, you know, our uh, interaction with the external universe. So when you do that, you're at your highest flow state. Like that's the ideal. So we want to build a society where we maximize the capacity of individuals to do that as much as possible. And that's how I think when we really, right, the long-term vision is eventually we reach this threshold where let's say now maybe it's like, I'm going to make this number up, but maybe it's like 20% of the global population really has the ability to really do that. They're really self-actualized. We get to like 60, 70%. We start, you know, filling the universe with our intelligence and our imagination. That's ultimately like where this is headed. Um, And, you know, there's going to be a huge technological component to it. But I also like make the argument if we don't have the philosophical and spiritual frameworks set in place and like we have this technological ascendancy, 
it's probably going to be some like really horrible, like, you know, dystopian vision. <clears throat> the same few people control everything, except now, like there's actually no escape. Like there's no <clears throat> way to get out of it. I think there's still time to kind of change our course, so to speak. Hmm. Um, I'm glad that Matt asked the uh, self-help or the, the categorization of the book question, because uh, that was actually one of my questions about like, what, 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 where would you classify it? And I, I, I get the self-help vibe out of it from what I've read so far, especially I want to bring this up. Uh, I have it in my notes and then I just highlighted it on the website because I know you have some stuff on the website too. But this line here, exponential growth is part of our experience of the moment and an aspect of our universe with, we must quickly become more intimate with um, that kind of like resonated with me just because I know you, I mean, you know, when I went through a, when I went through a rough time, we, used to, so just for a little more background on our history, we used to train in the early in the morning, uh, Ron and, and a couple other guys started when I was a purple belt. And then, you know, we did it all through when I got my black belt, like you said, just before COVID started. <clears throat> um, and, uh, you know, during that time, I went through a bad breakup and I was kind of like, you know, messed up. And uh, I had that highlighted in my notes of, of the PDF file you sent me, because when I read that, as I was trying to get ready for for having you on the podcast, I remembered, you know, when I was when I was going through my stuff and I, I fucked up my shoulder and stuff training that one morning with Alex. And I was just I'm so distracted. My mind's all over the place. And you can, that part in the book kind of reminded me of when you were just like, you, you know, leave all that shit outside keep your mind present in, in the moment that you're in now so you can adapt. And I just got all the, I kept getting these messages of adaptability and, 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 and especially in the, in the exponential growth chapter, um, is that chapter zero where you have it categorized as exponential growth? Yeah. Yeah. It's part uh, yeah. Of chapter so that, and, and that part there, I'm like, like, I just kept on going back to that as I'm reading it. I'm like, wow. Like, I mean, uh, you said, you said you've been, I mean, it took you three years, but you've been doing research for six years. And I'm like, this is this has been a minute, but there's there's a lot of you in this book. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, of Ron in the in the book that that's just uh, the guy that uh, that's always helped out, like me and Nate and all the other guys that we we train with out here in Jersey. I'm just like every everything I'm reading, even though like I mean, I'm reading all your sources and the citations and stuff. That, that I mean that's cool too. But then I, I I feel like you're bringing it to a personal level that that I think is relatable to whatever anyone's personal crisis is, I, I feel like the book would help them. I don't know if well, I'm, I, if I'm I appreciate off base that. with that. No, no, listen, I'm yeah. glad it resonates with you. Look, at the end of the day, I think all of us are, are, are bound to these systems that mm-hmm. we had no say in choosing, right? Like we were born into this, this economic and legal order um, and we had no say in writing it and our kids have no say in writing it. Um, but, you know, if things don't, if the trajectory doesn't change, we're going to have, Whatever we think is bad now, it's going to get worse. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm I'm really appreciate you sharing that, and I'm glad it resonates with you. Um, but yeah, man, I, I I do, you know, ultimately, like you know, in the introduction chapter, I wrote the book is ultimately a, a work of selfishness. Like, mm-hmm. I want things to get better. I have a two year old, you know, like I want the world not to go to shit in the next twenty five years. So, you know, we need to, but but our transcendence is emergent. Like that's ultimately, mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil the book. But that's yeah. like the conclusion. We have to make the choice yeah. to choose a different direction. Like if we don't, like that's the problem, right? Like the 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 status, the uh, the path of least resistance is the crisis. It's exactly mm-hmm. where we are right now. And it's mm-hmm. only going to continue this trajectory unless we like make a conscious decision to to kind of choose a different focus, to direct our focus and energy in different directions. Um, and to your point about the gym, I mean, yeah, that's you know, being present is, that's one of our core values. So like part of the book is I established new core values around the single truth and relational universe. And part of it's awareness. It's like the consistent practice of being present in the moment. Mm -hmm. Because like when you're not, and trust me guys, like I'm like the worst procrastinator ever. Like I write this stuff, it's like a help for me because (laughs) I know what it's like to waste time, you know, like to be on Twitter when I'm supposed to be working, you know, like, Like, I get it. Um, But it's, it's, that's just it. It's a practice. It's not, uh, it's not a goal. Like you're not going to, you're not going to awaken overnight. Like you just have to consistently go at it. So you talk about change of direction. I'm going to shoot a direction back to the hey. MMA world here for a minute. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, the first time you've probably seen me much, but I, I got into MMA early on. I w- I attended four of Matt Sarah's first six fights in the UFC. Um, oh. He actually went four and zero oh in the fights that I attended. So um, he's undefeated in my book, but I want to get back <laughs> to um, that era uh, yes. You said you got in, uh, I think you said 2004. So that was about towards, uh, that was 
right before uh, he, he he fought Cairo, uh, Cairo, and then he fought Chris Lytle um, on the Ultimate Fighter, um, and, and then obviously he had the the win over uh, Saint Pierre. Um, I know what it was like as a fan around that time and the excitement that the, the UFC was and, and guys like Matt Sarah and, and, and uh, Drago cell and, and those yeah. guys from over there. Um, what, what was it like? I, I mean, I, 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 like I was around in the early, early days with some of the fighters, but I wonder as UFC was becoming huge at that point, that was like, we were almost to the ultimate fighter. I mean, he was the ultimate fighter, but we, we were just getting ready to explode as a sport. What was it like to be around that? And, and the, the kind of, the, I don't want to say gang atmosphere, but kind of like the, huh. you know, it's kind of what it was. <clears throat> and It was different than it is now. Everybody's happy with each other. Now everybody mm-hmm. shakes hands back then you had, you know, the, the top, team and shoot box and and then you had the different gyms and stuff what was it like yeah well well said man it was very different so i I started in 2003 i was a white belt um and uh so by the time matt got on the ultimate fighter i was already like working and teaching at the school um but i will say like so back then it was um the gym was small Right. It was, we, it was like, a, we called it like the dungeon. It was like small. It was hot. It was humid. Mm-hmm. It was like in this like strip mall off like a, a highway, um, uh, Hempstead Turnpike, which is actually where Hofstra was like my, the college I was at. Um, it was full of extremely tough guys. And it was, it was, uh, there were a lot of like battles. And I mean that in like the best way possible, but it was, you know, the Sarah gym was really a unique experience for me because I know there's a lot of different gyms and especially now there's a lot of different philosophies mm. of jujitsu. And I'll be candid. If I opened a jujitsu school, I probably wouldn't have embraced the philosophy that they had embraced, but it was a tough school for fighters, you know? And it's like, you were either like gonna, gonna survive. And by survive, I mean, like just get beat up all the time. And if your ego couldn't handle it, like it wasn't the place for you. So it mm. was really, um, just, just really good, a good crew. You know, I will say this though great vibes. I mean, everyone was really cool and chill. Um, but you guys know, like, you know, jujitsu MMA, it's an ego driven sport. And I think more than, than now, because now people understand like how technical it is and how like, it really is about like, it's a skill based thing. I think back then, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but still back then, like, you know, there's a lot of guys who come off the street and just be like, Oh, I want to roll. Like, let me, yeah. how's that, you know, how's that going? You know, like I still, yeah. I, I'll admit <laughs> that there's like, you know, I put a few guys asleep. Like it is what it is, but it's like, you, you had to kind of, I also think like back then to your point, Matt, there was a much more focus on the rigid hierarchies, right? It was much more about respect. And like, I think that traditional aspect of martial arts, which I don't know is the case now that there's a jujitsu school on every block right like i think that's like a big difference and i and by the way i don't think a jiu-jitsu school on every block is a bad thing i think it's a great thing and i actually do think it's a great thing that it's a uh, a more welcoming sport for people who maybe don't want to be as intense but for me as a 19 year old kid like i love that shit you know like mm. i remember my first uh, ufc i ever saw matt was at my friend's house was tank abbott trying to throw that dude over the cage that was the first <laughs> thing i ever got and that was actually why i got into wrestling in middle school because i thought i didn't know i thought wrestling was mma i'm like oh can i tank a lot someone my coach was like what the hell are you talking about you know but um yeah so it was like just really tough and then funny enough to your point when matt got on the ultimate fighter though that was a catalyst. So like the gym prior to that, you know, there was like, I think the consistent crew of guys who loved it. And, but like new guys didn't really, I don't think they really retained that well, but I cannot, I mean, I'm talking about like no exaggeration, like a 10 X boom of calls of, I used to do the intros. So, I mean, like I was doing like 10 people intros five days a week. You're talking about like 50 new people signing up a week for the school. And Matt was on, it was it was like nothing we had ever seen, nothing that I, of course, I had never seen. Uh, but I think it was also a very pivotal moment in in just the sport in general. I think that the tough series, right? Luke Kumo, right, was part of our academy as well. I, you know, I knew Luke for a long time. Um, you know, it was just a really revolutionary moment for the sport, um, and in a lot of great ways. But after that, like, it was almost like the academy was forced to, and I think for the better, but forced to become a little bit more business like. Because it's one thing if you have like the same crew coming to train, it's like whatever, the same 15 guys who like cycle in and out. Mm. And you have 80 students in a class, Man. right? Or you have like, you're running four classes in a row at 30 students a pop. And every week you have new people coming in. You have to kind of manage it differently. 
Um, because obviously, right, ultimately you don't want guys to get hurt. You don't want to get yeah. sued. Uh, you got to like calm the guys down who have big egos. You got to like let them know what's up. Um, yeah. And and we, you know, if you've ever trained at school, you know what I'm referring to. You just got to like, you know, there is a pecking order. I mean, there's no way around it. Like it's a, it's a, and look, it's a primarily a male dominated sport, a ton of ego. Right. Uh, so that's, that's not ideal, but yeah, it was really incredible. Actually, Matt, one of the, the greatest honors of my life was um, for Matt's second fight with Chris Lytle. So not the ultimate fighter one, but his second you know, UFC one, I was his primary uh, grappling partner. So that was like one of the greatest personal like accomplishments of my life. It was a deep, deep honor. Um, and, um, yeah, so it was just really incredible. And, but beyond that, I just got to emphasize, um, if any of your listeners are fans and they're not training, you know, training is, is one of the best things that are happened in my life because it really is a family. And I mean, I, mm-hmm. I really just can't, you know, you can't like beat each other up for years without starting to love each other. <laughs> you can't, you can't like, cause you don't want to like, it's, it's it's trials and tribulations and it's frustrations and it's it's growth it's so much and then it's also like you know you ask any of the guys at, at advanced martial arts ed like you know it's pontificating i'll go in there and you know we're gonna roll for an hour but then you gotta listen to me chat for 30 minutes <laughs> so, <laughs> it's you know it's oh yeah that's that's my brother my, i brought my brother in uh last year and he was like he's like why did what, what you know we trained and then he's i was like i said listen I was like, it's like it's like an hour of training and another 20, 30 minutes of bullshit. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah, for sure, for sure. Um yeah. you know, it's funny, like you're talking about your experiences. I mean, uh, and uh I actually I'm gonna give this away on the podcast. There's actually guys from the school now that listen to this podcast, so they'll be they'll be knowing about your book too, Ron. Um, but um I actually you remember you, you put out an Excel file of like your lesson plan and stuff, like how, how oh you yeah, dude. Did you take it? I still have it, but I, I didn't because I because because like you're better at some of the stuff that's on there. But I kind of the idea of it is like now, like because I, I don't know if uh, I think I told you this last time you're up here because I teach now, and uh, that's I actually oddly enough I teach on Tuesday nights. <laughs> that was the night that you were teaching, so I teach on Tuesday nights, and that's what I do. Like for the month, we're doing like bet you know like lapel chokes and you know transitions off of that that move, and then next month we move on to something else. So. I kind of like took that idea. I got that from you and the pay. So it's weird. I, I use your, your kind of like curriculum idea. And I do the Like I use Brian's pacing when I teach, but yeah. I mean, I mean, there's just uh, you know, you, you never know how much you, you help somebody out. And I think this book is a great way for you to help out a bunch of other people that don't even know you. If they, if they get themselves a copy again, I, I, I dropped links on the bottom for folks that want to pick it up and a link to Ron's website. Um, one, my, I got one last question for you though, because I'm not there on the book and I know you have to like, kind of you explain to it because a couple of dummies, me and Matt, when, especially when it comes to crypto stuff, but what is the spirit DAO? Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so quick, real quick. Um, I just want to mention you, Matt, what, what Ed was referring to before is I, I built an Excel sh- spreadsheet of like a year's worth of lessons. And mm-hmm. for your audience, you're welcome to share that, man. What's mine is yours. So no, I'm serious. Take it. If it would be valuable to your audience to have a year's worth of jujitsu curriculum, you know, give it out. <laughs> um, so you know, Spirit Dow. So, um, and by the way, I see you guys have your your tags. I just want to plug. If you guys want to connect with me and 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 wants to follow up, it's at Rivers Mind uh, on Twitter. Feel free to DM me or just connect. I'll follow you back. Um, but yeah, a Dow is a, a, a decentralized autonomous organization. So essentially. Um, I've built you. Know, I'm, I'm I'm in the process of founding. It's it's really pre-launch because I really want to like align with some co-founders who are really like aligned with the mission. Um, but we're building a nonprofit organization, and a DAO is essentially an organization that relies on what's called smart contracts to you know uh, automate the process, automate things. So, for example, instead of having to, you know. Uh, ask your manager if you can do a certain thing or whatever, like the organization post tasks to be done. You can take them, you can do them, you could submit them, you can get paid for them all automated. So it's like a really high flow. It's also a flat organization. Like the leader is the person who knows what to do next. Right. So I think that's really important. Like I'm not, I want to emphasize that this book, although I'm really, I'm fr- I'll be frank, I'm, I'm proposing a non-religion religion. Like that's really ideally what I'm, it's like the spiritual philosophy, but it's not about me. It's not about like, I'm not, divine i am i'm no more divine than anyone else although we're all equally yeah very you're not divine, trying to be on. the dynamics guy you're, you're yeah just, it's like i'm not trying yeah. to be anything besides my individual perspective 
but a DAO is like a collective ownership. So if you look at spirituality today, right? Like the spiritual organizations are primarily hierarchical. The wealth you know, flows to the top in a lot of them. Um, this is really like a community-based organization. Um, and the, the website is just spiritdow.org. If anyone's interested in, in checking it out, we have a, a community discord um, that is growing slowly. I mean, one of the challenges, right? As you might imagine, it's a building a community around a book, especially a book that's 450 pages, is it takes a while to kind of, you know, develop interest and, and, but that's okay. You know, like this is for me, this is like a lifetime commitment. Um, I'm, I'm really passionate about this. Like, this is like the hill I'm going to die on. Uh, so I, I really do believe in the message. Uh, and I do genuinely believe that if anyone's interested in checking it out, um, Ed mentioned it's singletruth.org. And I also want to emphasize Ed's very kind. You can buy the book on Amazon, um, but I'm giving the book away for free. You can download an ebook for free. You can download the PDF for free. You can download an audio book for free. So whatever way, and the website itself is a book. So you can just read it on your phone if you want. Um, it's not about capitalizing off the product. You know, I'm ha- more than happy to share it with anyone who's interested uh, and just checking it out. Um, and I, I, I really do appreciate the time you guys have given me uh, to kind of connect with it and uh, and promote it and just kind of talk to you ab- about it and about my jujitsu experience. It's really fun to, to kind of relive that. Yeah, I, I just realized you had the chapters and everything separate. I brought the website back up again for folks that are listening on the audio platform for the video version. But yeah, I just see on the left here you have the ebook and the PDF and everything. Um, yeah, and uh, it's singletruth.org. Again, the links for everything will be in the description of this podcast too for folks that are are interested in picking up a copy or learning about all of this stuff that Ron's uh, put a lot of time into. And uh, as always, I mean, we had, uh, I don't know if you remember or met David Benjamin, but we've had him on the podcast. He wrote a book. We brought him on to promote it. Um, Chris Reaney, for who, who uh, does art for Bloody Elbow, we've had him on twice for the two books he's had on. So that's why when I when you were talking about a book, as soon as I said, we have one uh, I already forgot. Matt, I can't believe I forgot what's his name. The dude from Ireland that wrote the book on Pride. He was like the Pride. F- <laughs> yeah. yeah, Pride Fighting Championship. He was the first author we had on. So, uh, I mean, it's rare. We don't get a lot of authors, but we as soon as we can, we try to, again, we try to get uh, everybody on here. You know, it's not just about fighters and, and uh, you know, ring announcers and stuff like that. We try to get everybody on here that does something that's in some way relatable to, to I mean, I mean, for me, like fun, you know, life, life, there's that saying about life is a fight just to get through it. You, know, you fight to get through the day. And a lot of this stuff, again, because I know you of the advice you've given me and what I've read in the book so far, just being able to adapt and keep your mind present. I mean, I see you bring that up a lot in the book and it just resonates with me and, and, and kind of like the, the code of martial arts, you know, keeping your mind present and stuff like that. So I, I, I see a lot of that in the book. I mean, the, there is, whether you want to admit it or not there, I mean, you do mention your jujitsu history in the book, but there's, there is like jujitsu philosophies in this book that I think sure. can adapt to, to whatever the crisis is that, that folks are trying to get through whether it's self-help or not, or, or, or you know, the warming of the earth or any of that stuff. We, we all have to kind of like be present and adapt and be open to growth and change a lot. I think that's, I think it'll help a lot of people that are having trouble with that. It doesn't hurt that you trained Matt Sarah for Chris. <laughs> just just, to, just to, to get up the fluff stuff. Yeah, that definitely doesn't hurt. I, um, I want to emphasize: I didn't train Matt. I certainly was on the receiving end of those trainings. Oh, so yeah. let's not let's let's get the order correct. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And thank you guys so much for having me in such eminent company. I really do appreciate the opportunity, uh, and I hope everyone else if you're listening enjoyed it as well. I so do. Have, I, I have one more quick thing. Yeah, that I want to ask. Um, I, as as somebody who's attempted to write some stuff for fights, I, I have a long history, and I'm able to like get my words out. I'm not great at it though, um, and and my lack of writing skills. I, I'm not a college degree. I you know I, I'm a construction guy who, who got into the sport. Um, were what, what were you? Did you have a history on writing? Is that what you're you went to college for? Was there any you know any advice you could give to anybody? Because I'm sure while writing a 450 page book, you had to have days where you're like, "What the heck am I doing?" Or you know, "Am I going to be able to make it through this chapter?" Is there any advice you could give to anybody that uh, might have stuff that they want to put That's on good, paper man. or why yeah. want to share that when they're not? You know, I don't, I don't, you know, you, I don't have a degree in, in journalism, you know, yeah. or communication. Is there anything that, that you could recommend or any words yeah. of advice just to get through those moments? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. Um, so I want to emphasize, I, I also don't have a, a writing degree. I have a, a business degree, whatever, you know, nonsense. Mm -hmm. okay. um, but the, <laughs> the, the, all, so the, one of the core themes in the book, and I think it really relates to your question, which is why I'm bringing it up, is in a, in a universe governed by the single truth in the relational universe, the more you direct your focus and energy in a specific direction, the more you become it. So my only advice is just write every night. If mm. you're not great. So, and this is true, Matt, I'll tell you a true story. I've been writing, although I wrote this book took six years, I've been writing for like eight years. I've been writing articles and, and I, I cannot, I'm not exaggerating when I say I had close confidence, reach out to me and be like, Ron, I love your writing, but it's filled with errors. It's terrible, right? Like they, they love my ideas, but they're like, you're a shitty writer. And <laughs> it really was, I mean, speaking candidly, it was just like consistently doing it that I eventually mm. got better. I think what happens is like, as you write more, you start reading your stuff more. And, and of course, I'm sure most of us are like, we're reading other things. So you sort of like pick up other writing styles. Um, but my, my advice is just do it every day. If that's what you want to be good at, then, then every day dedicate some focus and energy to it. And, and also like, you know, ultimately like it comes down to prioritizing like what you want to be, like, who mm -hmm. do you want to become? Because again, in a relational universe, if you're saying, okay, at 10 PM, if you're saying, okay, like it's time to settle in and like watch some TV, cool. But you're going to become that, right? Like, whereas if you said, okay, well maybe I'll write for an extra hour and, and maybe it doesn't have to be good. And to your point, Matt, there was days when I was reading this book where I'm like, you know, I'm a total fraud. And this is a total, you know, this is not going to get published. It sucks. Right. Thankfully, I'm happy to say that when I pick up the book now and I read it, I love it, which is like, oh, good. You know, like, but yeah, man, it's just, there's, there's no secret. I was a terrible writer who wrote pretty consistently uh, for like eight years. And, and now I like, you know, and, you know, full, full disclosure, I have three editors on this book. So it's, you know, this is certainly like, it's, it's mm. not a, you know, editors really, make um for me i can be i know what i write a little long-winded you know it's kind of like how i think so editors like really kind of chopped it up and i think it made it a lot more digestible um mm. so that's certainly you know if if you struggle with like similar things or you struggle with grammar like like i also do right like my spelling's atrocious um you getting an editor is, is ideal especially if you're you're publishing a book um, I think that's a really, you know, a really valid investment. It's just going to make a better product. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately the goal with writing a text, whether it's an article for your website, a podcast <sighs> or a book is you want it to be digestible and meaningful to the people mm -hmm. who are going to like embrace it. Right. Because that's ultimately what the value you're trying to provide. Um, so that'd be my only advice. And it's, it's really, it's universal, whether it's jujitsu, mm -hmm. right? Like my advice to every white belt who's take my classes is like, dude, the key to getting your black belt is just show up for practice. Like if you show up for practice, you're going to get your black belt. I, I guarantee it. The moment you stop showing up, you're not going to get it. You know, mm -hmm. like that's just it. Like that's the, that's the true re nature of reality. And yeah. so if you're willing to, to put what's, what it takes to become it, then, then that's it. But ultimately like there are sacrifices to be made, right? Yeah. So you have to be, you have to make that choice in the moment. That's divinity, right? Choosing to craft yourself in the moment is divinity. Yeah. You know, the the opposite is choosing not to craft yourself to to mess around to play Elden Ring for four hours, right? And get no farther, <laughs> right? Just yeah, die, die the same fucking boss. Excuse my <laughs> Yeah, no, that's all right. Cursing's a lot on this podcast. Oh, cool. All but right. um, uh, that's funny you're saying that because like it's making me think about. I remember when I started, you know, covering combat sports, you know, talking about writing. Like I I wasn't good at it, at it, and I, I I when I went on Simon's podcast, I talked about this. Um, I got better as I did it. Someone saw that that I had the interest, and then they helped me to get, go to uh, the pointer journalism uh, online like news school, mm. and they paid my way to go through that to learn to pick up the write the AP style good. And the more that I write, the better that I get. And even to this day, like you said about editors, like it's funny because like uh, one of the, one of my gigs now with Spectation Sports, the editor that brought me on there, who's he's, he's pretty well known in the combat sports world, uh, Jeremy Botter. He was my editor there, and he uh, he was like, he's like, you know what? I remember you applied for a job with me for some other publication. He was the, uh, for he was like some some odd years ago, and he was like, and your your writing sample that I read wasn't that good, and he's like, but what you just submitted now for you know what he hired me for, he's like, you've you've grown so much since your first submission, like since the submission from what was like 2014 or whatever. He's like up until now, he's like, you've he've you've gotten a lot, and he like emphasized like you've gotten a lot better, and it's just because I always, you know, I I, I picked a mentor, a guy from Flow from Flow Combat, 
that that I wanted to kind of emulate, but I also make sure I, I I hit all the the notes, the stuff that I learned from the Pointer News School. And like you said, I mean, I make it a point on the weekends. You know, like this past weekend, just before I got sick, I, I wrote about you know one championship and Bellator stuff. But I'm always looking for stuff to write, so it's it's definitely it's that de- there's definitely something to be said about when you know you want to do something, commit to it and do it, fail, do it again, get better and, and improve. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, you've definitely done that with everything from, from the fucking beer business to, <laughs> to jujitsu beer, everything that I know you for. And this book, which is so far, I mean, I'm enjoying it. I know Matt said it was a little bit highbrow for him. I mean, like you said, is there some, is there some folks that, that aren't really like getting it, Throw but like the rug. <laughs> <laughs> but but why what, what yeah, you're, I think you're, you're muted Matt. Uh, I didn't know I didn't mute him. He muted himself. He's he's, yeah, no. talking about. he's always <laughs> muted himself. Uh, now my dog's uh, uh having some issues in the backyard. But um the uh no, I, I was just saying that scanning through it, it, it it's it's not an easy but book it, to just glance at and be like, What today, what yeah. am I what am I getting into right yeah. here? You know? So I, I read what I could to try to pick up like the, the idea, but I was easily able to ask you the questions that kind yeah. of that lead into to where where that book will take me if I get deeper into it. So Yeah, um, yeah. And there's also the audiobook, which I it was is exactly for people because I agree with you, like a full disclosure, it's not like a an easy reader, right? Like it's not, that's not what it's intended to be. But I think, um, I just, one closing thing, I, uh, you know, one analogy that always stuck with me, it's sports related, right? But if you think mm-hmm. about, um, think about like a collegiate or Olympic sprinters, right? Or like the track racers, you know, the people who win those races are not the fastest. It's just mm-hmm. the people who can maintain the pace the longest. Mm-hmm. Like that's the secret, right? And that's just, yeah. that all that is, is sustained focus and energy in a moment. That's all it ever is in any direction. So that's like the secret to like divinity in the moment and like really yeah. unleashing it. So uh, again, guys, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. I've taken up so much of your time, but it's been so fun. So I, uh, I thanks for having <laughs> well, me on. Thank you. Thanks for t- taking uh, time to come on and stuff like that. And uh, one more time before we let you go, uh, all the folks everywhere, folks can follow you and all the stuff you want them to follow. Yeah, right on. So guys, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Rivers Mind. One word. Uh, you can check out the website for the book is Single Truth dot org and spirit dow is spirit s-p-i-r-i-t-d-a-o.org that's the nonprofit we're building to spread the message of the book uh and kind of proliferate the ideas that we're having so um i hope you know this resonates with you guys if you have any questions don't hesitate to dm me per you know personally i'm i'm super open to connecting uh and uh yeah i just really look forward to to connect with you guys and, and hopefully in someday in the distant future having another opportunity uh, to come on Awesome. We appreciate your time. Fans can follow the show at Combat Hour on Twitter, Coast to Coast Combat Hour on Instagram. Follow me, Matthew Hawkins, at MMAHawk21 on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Ed at Carbazal on Twitter, Carbeerzal on Instagram, and Old Head Carb on Twitch. Ron, we appreciate your time. Best of luck with the book. Uh, I appreciate you offering it out for free, essentially. That's that's uh, that's pretty damn cool. So um, hopefully you're able to make a few bucks off of it uh, to help buy a house and uh, <laughs> and, and, and life and the world continue. Uh, or we, we get things uh, on the right path. So, again, thanks for your time. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, that'll do it. Good night, folks. Peace.